I'm Corinne Schaefer, and welcome to Create Outside the Box. If you're interested in watching this episode, please visit our Creative Operations YouTube channel under the playlist, Create Outside the Box. This episode celebrates the second anniversary of the podcast, and I can't quite believe that we're heading into our third year. We have some really great guests coming up for season three that I can't wait to share with all of you. But before I do, we're taking this episode as an opportunity to look back at some of the highlights of the past year with our great guests. Costume and scenic designer, Lucas Vossman. Where would you like to see theater go? Like, what what do you envision for a future theater that you want to be part of? I think we had some moments today in this conversation where I already felt like um, it's it's beautiful that we both, like we, we as individuals, can talk about something like this and have the same opinion and think inclusion is something that is um, should just be so natural. I think that's really what it is. I think that. Um, I'm in an, in an age in an age now where I would say I just want I just want people to pursue something that makes them happy and um, theater makes me happy and if I get to meet people as different as possible to me but in the same time as like being the same or being similar to what I am or what I pursue that is really the beauty of, of, of theater or to, to, to the arts. And I am hopeful that this world just gets it together and um, that there will be, hopefully sooner than later, just productions where skin color um, or gender does really, really not matter to anyone, either the audience members, the actors, the designers. It's really just um, not even part of the not even part of the story. The director I work with currently, uh, Jacob Sexton, he is he creates an environment, a very, very healthy environment for a very, very diverse. Um, with people around him. We are creating, for a year now, I started working with him last year in November with um, Edie Mason's show, uh, a play called um, Echo in a Diner. Mm-hmm. And um, we continued these, these, these collaborations um, throughout the year to, to very, like right now, making sure that our team is very diverse um, there was a play um, we wanted to do in March. Uh, we could not do, um, unfortunately, but it, the, Jacob was very, very eager to find a creative team that has that has a different approach to religion. Um, he was trying to find people who are not believing in religion at all. Uh, he wants, wanted to find a Christian costume designer that was me. The, um, the scenic designer was uh, Jewish, um, and the janitor was um, uh, Muslim. This is important. For me. This is a, there, there was there was a great great thought. Like let's start this. let's start this where at the very start um, where the group is finding itself and it's finding itself with so many different perspectives. We continue that with casting. We had. 
a, um, a trans man playing our uh, character, but it was not part of the story. And it, um, it, it wasn't mentioned in the story, but it was important for us to cast this person because he was great. And it was, it was just, uh, yeah, and that, that, that's, that's important. It should, we should cast people, and it doesn't matter what they are, where they are, who they are, um, what they are where they are from, um, what they are believing in. And that is really the, the, what, I, what I want for the future, to, 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 to include everyone, but not make it a topic. Artist Asia Jung. It's not always when you have the best conditions that you produce the best work, right? That is a thing also. I mean, I know a lot of people who are so much better when they are a bit sad or when they are angry, <clears throat> you know? Under pressure, that's another thing, you know, and, and one doesn't want to admit it, but, you know, that is then you, you know when to stop <laughs> because you don't have all the time in the world. Or, you know, your mood or against the grain or you got to do something you really don't want to do or but you have to figure it out again there comes always in again for for all these things you need an artist community to tell other people that you you are in this struggle that you are not feeling like you are completely insane or at least feel insane but you find the other people who are as insane and we we are weird i mean it is I don't like that to put art and artists on a pedestal because it's just something what belongs to life. It yeah. is just uh, people do art and it was always like that. <laughs> it is what it is. And um, you can be creative in any kind of profession. I really believe that. That is not the point. But um, uh, there are certain things where it's definitely easier to talk from artist to artist. Renaissance man, Hank Smith. I've been thinking about that a lot um, in terms of what's, what's, what am I, how am I wired? Mm -hmm. right? And I think when I think about it, I love putting things together. I always love it, whether it's a party, whether it's a tap routine, it's, it's structuring things, putting stuff together. Um, my basis as a performer was in the part of mime. I was a mime for a while. And I was I was going out with someone who's related to her brother. No, it's a friend of a friend of mine. Her brother was an architect, mm -hmm. and I remember meeting him. Now, this is in the seventies when I wasn't doing architects. I was performing of mine, and I was talking to him and saying, "Well, I wanted to be an architect, but now I'm a mine, which has got nothing to do with that." Yeah. And he says, "No, I disagree." And I said, "How do you disagree?" Well, an architect there's an empty space and fills that space with a structure, see something and create something. It says, that's what you're doing. Yeah. When you're doing, put it together. So I think that frame of mind, you know, I, in terms of engineering or figuring things out, I was always good in calculus and all in algebra because there it was. I think that does come to play yeah. uh, in terms of, yeah, I love editing things, which you can appreciate. How do you put it together? So I think that's got something... It's a bit of a connection there. Multidisciplinary artist, Mary Ann McKay. Through being this visual storyteller and historian, there's a lot of healing because not only are you healing through giving the children the bright, colorful life that they should have had through mm -hmm. your interpretation of their portraits, 
It's inviting what you weren't expecting. All of these conversations of families coming forward saying, that's my family history. Right. How healing that is for them to see that in art, but also to talk about it. Because I'm sure a lot of these things haven't been spoken about, not out in the open. No. And that's why I targeted these places. I targeted the Pottsville area because number one, that's where my grandparents were from. Every Everybody on my father's side lived in Mount Carmel at one point. My cousin Roseanne's family also. Mm-hmm. Um, so I targeted those museums up there. And then um, I did this series on the glass blowing children specifically for Millville. So I was pleased when the one gallery accepted it. And they were very pleased with the turnout. It, it was very successful. This, if any artist does work specifically to make money, they're using the wrong idea because none of these really sell. The prints, maybe, but a lot of people look at them and see the sadness in the eyes. And that's kind of hard to put in your living room above your couch. So a lot of times it doesn't it doesn't sell. And that's not why I make it for sure. But I have offered a lot of times with these museums. I'll come and talk about this anytime you want. Mm -hmm. I'll give a talk. I'll, I'll bring the school children in. I've offered that a couple of times, but it, nobody ever really took me up on it. But they did do an inter- a couple interviews with me up in, in the coal regions. People were interested there because that's that's their livelihood mm-hmm. to this day, some of them. And speaking of museums, there is a piece from the coal mining series in a museum in New Jersey. If you if you want to give some information about that, if people oh, want to. I can, yeah, I can do that. Thank you. That was a piece called Three Lives. Um, and it was three little boys and the experience that they had with black lung. And I depicted the three boys with a film on their chest of the first two depicting the stages of black lung. And then the third little boy I painted with, with acrylic, obviously I painted a respirator on him. And he didn't have a film with black lung on his chest, but the first two children did. I wish I had it in front of me, but anybody can look at my website and find it. So I submitted that. That was in several shows, actually. That got in Monmouth Museum. That got in the Ellerslie Museum in Trenton. And they ended up purchasing it for their permanent collection. Trombonist Pete Maurer. It was a, a wonderful experience, actually. I was, I got a call from uh, uh, Sam Moore's manager, uh, Joyce McRae, and she says, "We're uh, Sam is going to work the audition. Uh, can you? Are you available? And can you find some horn players? Can you uh, uh, for the show? We're going to need uh, six horns. Uh, so basically, I helped with I helped with the backup band and." Uh, the musical director was uh, of of the backup band, and it, this was for this this concert was called Celebration for Young Americans, okay, and it was basically R and B stars uh, uh, and blues blues stars of the day 
performing at this venue outside of the main inaugural concert that uh which was uh that was that was Frank Sinatra and a number of other you know heavy duty people mm-hmm. okay so this is the pop version the pop thing and it was in Constitution Hall we got tickets to fly into town early and and paid to rehearse which was really neat uh you don't always get that uh with some some shows and the musical director and name was Billy Preston. In actuality, it was uh, a, a local guy, a friend of friend of ours called uh, named George Naha. He was he really ran he ran the band and did the cutoffs and and everything like that. And he queued off of Billy Preston when necessary, but George was pretty much in charge, and he had done that job for Sam. Uh, Sam and Dave over the years, so he knew what he knew what he was doing. So we we got to perform with Sam, uh, uh, Joe Cocker, uh, Doctor John, all on the same show. Billy Preston, and an interesting thing it, during th- during the show, the president the president elect came up uh, on stage and played guitar, but. And and so did uh, Lee Atwater, who was the uh, uh, Republican chairman, uh, chairman of the Republican National Committee at the time. And uh, he uh, they played, but the that part of the show didn't make the video. The video yeah. was the video was hidden for about 20 years and and it was a very well produced video. It's it's, uh, you know, it's on DVD. But that uh, they didn't authorize that to be part of the uh, the documented history of the event. Oh, that's a shame. Uh, uh, yeah, it is. It was it was a shame. It the picture of them playing did make the the uh, front page of the New York Times and most of the you know newspapers in the world. <laughs> but uh, but for some reason it was uh, it was edited out, so to speak. Yeah, and I I don't know I don't know that anything about why, but you know it is what it is. Well, since we can't we were, we can't see it because it's been edited out. How how did they play? Were they any good? <laughs> oh, it was it was just a it was just a goofy thing. Oh, a goofy uh, thing. <laughs> yeah, it was, they were they were clowning around. Yeah, yeah. The, you know, the president was making faces. Yeah, everybody's making faces at each other. It was kind of fun. It was fun funny to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, but no, it wasn't uh, it wasn't like uh, they queued up his guitar just to hear him. It was kind of like a up 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 a playtime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having fun with the band. Musician and producer Vinnie Kine. You connected, you know, with some of the biggest names in the bluegrass scene and put together, you know, concerts, whether it's in the loft or in New York or in Sunny's. So like, I guess my question is, is like, how did you make all of these connections and bring these people together? And also like, what are, what are some of the highlights of some of the people that you've gotten to work with some of the big names? I don't look at it as working with the big names. I mean, part of, part of the, the allure of bluegrass to me is I've said it's such a democratic genre. If you go to a bluegrass festival, there's always things. I, I mean, it's evolving somewhat now, but 
The musicians are just people in the audience. When they're done playing, most festivals will have what they call a master class where somebody like uh, Brian Sutton or, or, or uh, well, even Billy String, but he's a little maybe off the charts now, Doc Watson would, would go to a, a tent and give what was a combination of an interview and a performance where they talk about their music and show you what they're doing. It's, it's just so open. There's no special effects. You yeah, know I mean? Yeah. It's the music. And once again, like I spoke about Jay and Molly, the people that I've been lucky enough to, to pay, because that's another thing. I mean, I'm paying these. One of the things I love to do for, for, for musicians of the caliber that I've been lucky enough to get for the music festival or to play at Ozzy's old art gallery or the loft is, is to make it easy for them. I'll go to Brooklyn, pick them up, take them to dinner, have them play and pay them. You know, yeah. because without the love of music, the profession kind of sucks. Yeah. I mean, think about it. It's you must love the music. And I appreciate this so much in these people. I'll make it as easy as I can for them to perform because that's what, to me, that's what God put them on the earth for, to perform, to make people happy. So when I have people here, and I've been really fortunate, Alex Hargrave played here. He's now Billy Strings fiddler. Grant Gordy, who's been on the cover of multiple magazines. Bobby Hawke, who plays for Taylor Swift. Uh, Jacob Jolliffe, who's just a genius. I mean, these people played, and they lit this place up. Yeah. You, you, I, I just love when people I, I run into a week later or, or I see a video up on YouTube. I just know how much people appreciate it. Artist Nusara Cragen. Mural wasn't coming to the picture, but um, growing up in Thailand, I often admire the, mu um, the murals in the temple. Yeah. And they were only being done in a temple or palace. And uh, they were beautiful. But uh, I thought nothing of it until I had an experience working for this architect company. Um, I went to a lot of places, those old buildings, and they had murals that was done in the past. Wow. It was absolutely beautiful. And I, I just thought of it like, maybe this is what I want to do, become an artist that painted some of these paintings on people's walls. And it was a dream, thought of it, talked about it. And um, the love of my life, he told me to, why just dream? Why just talk about it? Make it real. Do it. And with his support, in every way, I, here I am, 17 years as a muralist. Wow. That's a love story. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's one thing to, you know, find someone who loves you and accepts you. It's, it's another thing to find someone that also takes on and loves and supports your dreams to that extent where, you know, he came in and was the extra added support and confidence for you to take this next step. And as you said, 17 years later, so it's been, you know, a dream, but now it's a successful reality. Soprano and artistic director, 
Susan Gonzalez. Well, I grew up in a world where where women, at least in my household, uh, women could do anything. My mother was the vice president for Arnold Palmer's golf course design company, and that was an all-male you know, good old boys club if there ever was one. Uh, and she did very well in that. And she taught me that I could do whatever I wanted. I just had to go after it, but I had to be willing to fight for it. And I had to be willing to stand my ground and be tough. What she said to me was, because women have to work so hard to get to the top, they don't always treat other women with the kind of nurturing respect as men might treat other women. And that was her experience, which I thought was odd because that's not what I'm hearing from the general public. So, I mean, I have her experience, I have my experience. Um, I think in, in university settings, oh, it's, a, it's a lot easier to be a woman that excels within that fish tank, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, out in the commercial world, uh, I think it's it's been a lot harder because it's been a man's world conducting, even playing in orchestras for a very long time. The Vienna Philharmonic and the Staatsoper had nothing but men in that orchestra for the longest time, you know, even in our lifetime. Uh, so I think women coming into the scene is just it's whenever it's a larger group resonance, it takes longer to evolve. You might find a woman such as my mother who breaks through that glass ceiling, but women in general, it's just going to take longer. It's hard for the human race to let go of their feelings and their prejudices. Yeah. And I, I've had my experiences as well, and I've had wonderful, you know, female colleagues and, but I do agree sometimes with what your mom was saying um, is that sometimes because People think, oh, gosh, there's only one seat at the table, you know, so people can be competitive with each other for that seat and not network and bring They say, hey, wait, we can make room at the table for you. We don't have to compete with each other over that one perceived spot. And that's something that you've done is you are supportive of other minorities and other women and you're not saying, oh, well, if I bring this woman on board, that's going to take away my light or my power in some way. You're like, no, our power combined can yes. do something special. And I think we need to remind ourselves of that because, you know, sometimes when you're going after that role or you're going after that job, you're coming from a position of fear because you want and need something. But that doesn't mean you have to attack somebody else to, to get that and that we're stronger as a network. Yes, um, it's very true. I mean, you look at women conductors, that's probably one of the toughest to to get into, I think, and even stage directors for that matter. Women, I, I see women being more supportive of other women these days because we're expanding out beyond male-female duality. Now it's, it's uh, gender. Now it's race. Well, race has always been a conversation as long as I can remember. Even with my parents' generation, race was an uh, was a conversation in the job market and in and in just, just who gets to ride in the bus and who gets to sit where and drink out of what fountain. And I grew up in the South, so I I remember 
I remember a lot of that busing and a lot of prejudice that goes into equality, true equality. But yes, I think uh, my mother's experience is that, which I took with me and I say, I quote her because it, it still lands. I still look for it. Even if I don't see it, I still look for it. That women can be harder on other women because of how, how difficult it is or has been. Yeah. But I love, I'm, I'm very happy to see I've only hired women to assist me in at the Hunter Opera Theater. I felt like it was an important step. And it was wonderful when we did the workshop this spring and it wasn't intentional, but you sat back and you saw like the creative team uh, for Precipice, which which we workshopped along with the American Opera Project and the National Opera Association was involved as well. You know, it was a primarily female team from the creatives to administrative to production and it was it was a beautiful thing to see as well. Yes. Yes. I was very happy with that. It was it was the first time I think I've ever done wow. um, a production that was predominantly all women. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Create Outside the Box. Please subscribe, rate and share our podcast. You can listen to Create Outside the Box on Spotify Buzzsprout, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Check us out on our Creative Operations YouTube channel, where you can subscribe to watch our interviews. You can find and follow Creative Operations on our Facebook page and on Instagram at CO underscore Creative Operations. For more information about Creative Operations, please visit www.creative-operations.org.